You're listening to Moments That Matter, a special CXR podcast series where leaders and talent professionals share their own experiences with varying aspects of discrimination and inequality. Here on Moments That Matter, we are dedicated to creating connected conversations around specific moments. These are Moments That Matter. Good afternoon, everyone. This is William Wiggins coming to you from Career Crossroads in our series um, that we're calling Moments That Matter. Moments That Matter are experiences that we're communicating to our public um, that have been um, recorded or remembered by Black, Brown, and the people of diversity where they first experienced, um, we're calling it woke moments in the workplace. Um, It would be an experience that they've had or something that they have had done to them or said to them where they realized, hmm, I'm not in Kansas anymore and my experience is very different from that of the people that I work with. I interviewed just uh, three weeks ago, Shalia Gray from Quadrant, and we had a really, really good conversation about moments that matter. I hope you tuned in and I hope you enjoyed what we have to say. And this week, I have the pleasure of interviewing my wife, Carmen Hudson, who has experienced many moments that matter as well. Um, I'm hoping that this will be a good and fruitful interview for everyone because Carmen and I have been together for 25 years and we have experienced each other's moments that matter. She's been there when I've come home cursing or (laughs) almost in tears about things that have happened to me and I have been there for her as well. And so today I hope you enjoy what we have to say and more importantly, I hope that you can gather Um, get something from what we have to say, and perhaps it might impact your experience in your workplace and how you treat the people that are working alongside you. Welcome, Carmen. How are you? Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, How how are you in the other room? (laughs) I'm doing well. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Okay. This is funny. Okay. All right, I'm, I'm ready. Started. I wanted you to. I I, I probably know every moment that uh, that matters that you've had. Um, you know all the moments that matter that I've had. But I want you to give us an instance when you were um, in the workplace. I think I know a couple, but I want to hear from you. I want you to give us an instance where you first realized that mm, this is going to be a struggle. Uh, give us a a story, something that is your unique experience where. Um, you, 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 it was a woke moment for you. Woke in terms of, and when I say woke, woke in terms of, um, you, you realize, like I said, you're not in Kansas anymore. My experience is going to be very different here than someone else's experience is going to be. Um, and I'd like to hear from you what that is or what those are. Uh, I, I think for me, my very first, or at least the first woke moment that I remember was probably. Um, after college, and I moved from Detroit to Chicago, I went to school in, in outside of Chicago, then I moved home for a little bit, and then I, I moved back, and I was excited to move back and start my life as an adult, and I um, uh, partied, of course, and used up all of my money until the very last moment, so I had to go and get a temp job. Well, that's where that started. That's where that started, so... <laughs> Um, I went to uh, my my temp assignment. I um, signed up and I got an assignment. I was very excited because I got to um, my first assignment was at uh, an architectural firm, and I was going to be I don't know the front desk person or whatever 
there and I was excited just to go because I was interested in architecture and I thought, well, this could be the beginning of a great career and mm -hmm. very excited to go. And I went and um, I let them know I was there and they told me to sit in the lobby and I sat in the lobby, sat in the lobby for about 10, 15 minutes and said, hey, just to remind you that I'm here. Oh, we, we got it. Sat there for an hour um, and uh, still nothing from anyone. Sat there for another hour and finally I was told, uh, it's, it's okay, we'll, we'll pay you for the day, um, but we, we decided that we don't need you. Hmm. So I walked out of there just not knowing what happened. And I went back to, um, to the, the firm that had placed me there and said, hey, they said that they don't need me, despite you telling me that you needed me for a week. And they're like, don't worry about it. You know, we'll pay you. Bye-bye. You know, it was just sort of weird. To this day, I have no answer. I have no idea as to how I was treated or why I was treated that way. Um, I have my guesses. Um, but it began in me just a desire to ensure that people knew how they were being treated and why they were being treated in a certain way. And to, to the extent that I had available to me, um, to, the, to the extent that I could ensure that, that no one is treated in the way that I was treated that day. And how have you used that experience? I know um, right now you do a lot of training of recruiters um, through um, Recruiting Toolbox. How have you used that experience in order to train and prepare the people that you, um, your clients and your, your recruiters that you're training um, to impact the candidate experience in a more positive way for diverse people? Um, I, I, sometimes I, I share that story. Most often I don't, but um, I include in every, probably every training that I've done um, and uh, who knows how many that is at this point, I've been consulting now for 10 years and prior to that had a nice long career in recruiting. But um, every opportunity I get, I try to ensure that people understand that a candidate is a person first. Um, that a candidate is coming to you uh, either at a moment of great strength, or perhaps they don't need the job and this is just a nice to have, or at a moment of great weakness where they really do need a job. Um, and uh, we as recruiters never know what stage that person is in, whether it is here, there, or in between. And so it is our job to treat people well. That is first and foremost, what we should do. It's why I've been a member of the, um, uh, the um, committee on, on, uh, on treating people well and hiring people at the candidate experience uh, that makes sense because I think that is first and foremost. It doesn't mean that you have to give anyone a job that doesn't deserve the job, uh, but it means that you have to treat every person who comes in front of you well. And I will tell you that that's a struggle. That is a struggle treating mm -hmm. candidates with um, dignity and the respect that they, they deserve is difficult for many organizations. Many organizations are getting way more candidates, especially these days, than they can, um, than they can uh, help. Uh, at which point I tell people that it is, uh, it, it is really a part of our job to figure out how do we help them? How do we either get them to not apply uh, and point them to more uh, resources that make sense, or 
um, how do we, in the midst of um, coming into contact with candidates, how do we make sure that they are being treated well as part of the process? Mm -hmm. I know that um, this was several years back, you were doing some type of training. I can't remember specifically what the training was. And you used to start the training off um, by asking the people that you were um, doing the training for, how many people thought that you were the administrative assistant when you um, when they entered the room? Can you tell us a little bit about that exercise and what some of the responses were? That was uh, that was a while ago. I haven't done that in a while. But when I worked for Corporate America, I used to do trainings, and I was working for one organization, a large uh, delivery service service of packages of all types throughout the world. Um, we'll say, uh, and um, one of uh, the things that I would do is just sort of observe uh, as I walked in the room, how people re reacted to me, how people responded to me. I handed out the papers. Um, and, and most people, I, I you know, were perfectly nice. Uh, but then I would start the class and it just would have a bit of a shock that would happen as a result of my leading and starting the class. And so I started asking people um, really just to uh, actually not to indicate themselves but to indicate uh, just in uh, some small way to themselves if they thought that um, I was in, in no way qualified to lead this, this class. Um, and, uh, you know, no one uh, ever, um, well, I take that back. There were a few who actually admitted to me that they had no idea that I was leading the class and uh, they came clean and said, yeah, uh, you know, I see people in certain ways and I approach things in certain ways. But most people kind of quietly either acknowledged themselves or, or, or uh, didn't acknowledge themselves um, how um, they thought of me uh, when they entered that classroom. And that to me, is, it was just a way to awaken people to their minds and to the, their minds into the way that their prejudices get in the way of um, of candidates mm -hmm. uh, all the time, uh, all the time. Mm -hmm. I think, um, and, and I think you'll remember this too, um, because I used to talk about it a great deal when I was um, consultant. I had um, an office helper that would uh, frequently go out with me to bring materials and um, help me to get set up for meetings. Um, I would do a lot of open enrollment meetings, a lot of healthcare meetings, and people would consistently, he was a, a, a young white male, people would consistently go to him and introduce themselves and um, reach out to shake his hand and ask, are you William? Um, rarely would they come to me first. Um, and so I kind of experienced that when there is a perception or an expectation that if you are in a position where you're consulting with someone or training, you might not be as qualified if you have um, this color skin. In our meeting with um, my interview with Shalia, I was able to share a lot of experiences and, and I backed them up in an article that I wrote subsequently about the true experience in the workplace. Um, one of which included when I was, when we were living in California, I had my boss to jump up at a basketball game that we were enjoying and call one of the players a effing monkey. Um, about eight years later, he ended up calling me and apologizing for that. Um, can you tell us about any experiences where you may have been um, sort of in the same situation, had a relationship, was comfortable in the workplace, and um, had a similar experience that, you know, sort of, again, 
one of those woke moments that there was no denying. There is definitely a, a bias or a prejudice or an out and out racist sitting next to me that that I I, I may have missed. Uh, I. I can count. <laughs> I can't count actually the number of times that has actually happened. And and I will tell you it falls into, you know, one of two or three categories. And one is this is blatant racism and I know what's happening to me now and I am uh, quite aware. And there's a category of I'm not sure what this is, but it feels like racism and I'd be willing to bet a large sum of money that uh, it actually is racism. And then there's a third category of uh, this is racism and, or this might not be, or uh, this might be racism that uh, uh, they don't, they're not quite aware of. But I, I can, I can recall quite a few scenarios, um, you know, down to, um, <laughs> I'll just put it like this, since I work with uh, the whole world of hiring and I, I still work with some of these people and, and I still admire them to some extent because of what they've been able to share with me and what I've been able to learn from them. But I also learned uh, that racism can rear its ugly head at any time. And that folks who are, um, for example, um, doing checks on you, but not doing checks on other people, that it itself can account for uh, some faction of racism. And so, um, you know, you pick and choose those times when you decide to call it out and those times when you decide to endure it, those times when you decide to leave a job, those times when you decide that this is a learning experiment for me. But yeah, all um, yes, I, I have experienced that. <laughs> you, you can use names after we retire and get that boat. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what determines when you decide to endure it, to kick it behind you? Um, and when you decide to take it on or even exit as a result of it? Um, well, I think that uh, as I get older, um, it's a different, uh, you know, as I have more control over my career and uh, I care a lot less about what someone thinks or what someone feels. Um, I, I um, think that when I was younger, I probably would swallow a lot, a lot more things than I would now. Mm -hmm. uh, now there are people that I just won't work with and I don't feel any need to explain to people why I won't work with them. Uh, I just have decided that I won't or there are companies that I've decided that I won't work with. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, there are um, you know, individuals that I've decided I won't work with. In the past, when I was younger, it was, it, it, you know, it really did depend. And I probably... Um, I probably exercise some of that uh, uh, discretion um, probably more loudly than I would now. Now I would just simply say no and keep moving. Um, back then, if I did say no, it was probably pretty loud and probably with a great deal of, of language attached to it. And uh, that um, probably made some impressions and it probably hurt me in some areas, you know, who knows. Well, well, speaking of language and making impressions, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened at the advertising agency? Oh, I'm and, sorry. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened at the advertising agency when you experienced um, racism and did, did they ever uh, get that case resolved? Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm, I am, I'm not at liberty to say. 
Okay, well, I see Pat got your tongue on that. Um, <laughs> say more about the uh, rare coins place that you worked at on that on that fateful night when you. Um... <laughs> oh wow, you're going all the way back. Realize you're going you were working for a, uh, an extreme racist, actually. Um, well, I, that that was uh, that had accumulated after uh, so many different uh, experiences. And that was a, an interesting form of, of racism on, on, on top of it. But um, yeah, that was way back when I was working in Chicago. I was, uh, I was not in HR at that point and uh, didn't know, didn't have a, a, a great sense of what my rights were. I did have a, a, a really good sense of what I would tolerate and what I wouldn't tolerate. And um, thank you. Thank you for helping me um, figure that out. Uh, and, 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 I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story. I, you know, the story was just around uh, this person who decided to uh, uh, un unleash uh, all of what they were feeling uh, about me and about their situation, which had nothing to do with me, uh, in a way that I just felt was inappropriate. And uh, I came home crying about it. And uh, William was the one who said, why are you crying about it? Why are you why would you even return to that job? And I did return to the job, um, but then I uh, I subsequently walked off of the job because mm. I felt that I should not have to put up with um, what that person was saying. So, okay. um, yeah. So I, I thank you for giving me that courage. Well, you're you're welcome. And um, and so was that a peaceful party? Right. <laughs> You He's trying to get something out of me, people, but I, I'm okay. not going to give it. I'm not giving it. <laughs> we'll, we'll write that story when I retire and get that book, too. <laughs> it's going to be a big boat. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Um, you I, Last, last um, uh, few weeks ago when I wrote the article um, that was published um, on Fistful of Talent, I gave a series of um, snippets or stories or real life experiences that I'd had um, everything from that one of sitting next to my boss, who I considered a friend at that point, um, who jumped up and, and, and called a, a, another black man that looked like me a monkey for missing a shot to um, being chased around a desk, literally um, by a C-suite executive who um, always wondered, is it black all over, quote unquote. Um, and so I, I remember the reaction of people when I wrote that. I had a lot of people to reach out to me, um, people of color to reach out to me. And um, the reaction was was mostly, I can't believe you wrote that. I can't believe you shared those stories. Um, aren't you scared? Aren't you afraid to rock the boat? And you said something that was pretty poignant. I think when you get to a certain age at a certain level in your career, you cease being concerned about what looks in um what's going to rock the boat. And um, it's, there's something liberating about that where you feel like you've paid your dues and um, you're not paying any more dues. Um, and so I, I think that it's interesting that you, that you, that, that you use that. I want to know from you, um, since you're not talking about the, um, the, 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 um, the, the two cases um, that, that I just tried oh, to, to I tried to get the status of uh, out of, well, clearly you, you are, out and free. Um, 
but let's continue. I want to know from you, I know that you guys um, and your group over at um, Recruiting Toolbox do a great deal of training on, um, you know, how to become better recruiters does. Um, tackling um, unconscious bias feature into what you guys do. I think that is a huge one um, that people are always surprised. Even recruiters are always surprised that they actually struggle with. Yeah, that is, um, and it's becoming more and more. It's it's part of what we do naturally, and uh, we we embed that into every training that we have, um, for the most part, with recruiters and with hiring managers who are interviewing um, applicants. Um, and it is now being pulled out as something that people want more training on. They want um, they they want to understand um, bias. And they want to understand how they might be being biased. And they want to understand how to overcome it. They want to understand what parts of the progress of the process um, that might actually be um, uh, tied and tied up in 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 bias. And um, really thinking through, being thoughtful about the questions that they're asking uh, and um, the decisions that they're making. And I love doing this kind of training. This is exactly, um, I think, um, you know, one of the reasons I was put on this earth was to help people understand their role as an interviewer and to understand um, really that uh, to interview well starts way farther back in the process than most of us come to it. So most of us come to this idea that we have to interview someone and we uh, come up with some questions on the fly and we rush in and we interview someone and I think that um, if you're doing that, uh, you're, you're uh, very likely cutting a candidate short. Uh, you are not getting the best of that candidate. It's very likely that your process has uh, not been um, applied consistently across applicants. Uh, and it's, it's very likely that um, you've given an impression to the candidate that you really don't care, uh, that, that your um, involvement in this is such that you would not even prepare for the candidate. So um, all of that is what I put into my training every single time. And now even we have clients that want to pull that out and really um, respond to that and react to that and to, to um, uh, take a look at themselves and really figure out um, where could they be better. Mm-hmm. Can you give us some common examples of a subconscious or unconscious bias in interviewing? Um, I, I can. So um, I just think of a, a of, you know, a, a typical uh, question that you might ask a candidate. Um, and uh, what you want to do is be certain that that is a question that you ask every candidate. If you ask uh, one candidate about the details of doing a specific job, uh, that's a pretty specific ask. And if you find yourself only asking women candidates or only asking black candidates or only asking uh, candidates of any stripe or, 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 or um, uh, really focusing that question to specific groups of people, then what you are doing is typically uh, um, really applying some, some bias that you have that you have developed over time. And so stopping and spending time thinking about position that for which you are recruiting and uh, understanding what are 
uh, what are those things that are most important to getting the work done um, and understanding what your biases are. And we all uh, walk through this phase of life and we all take shortcuts and we all have biases mm -hmm. to understand what they are beforehand and to set them aside. So I might have a belief that a woman's going to be a better childcare provider, right? And um, that very well may not be true. And so I have to set aside my biases. I have to acknowledge what they are and set them aside and then question the person in front of me um, in the same way so that I can get the same set of data that I think it's important mm -hmm. for um, understanding th this candidate for this childcare job, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. But I have to get that same set of data from each person. And that means I have to sit down and think about what's the data that I need what are the answers that I'm looking for that are going to make me say yes or no? Because that's where a lot of um, difficulty actually happens. People actually analyze the answers differently to questions. So what are the answers that are going to make me say yes? And what are the answers that are going to make me say no? And what are my, what's the minimum level of answers? If I don't get the minimum level of answers to these three or four questions, then uh, I'm going to say that this person's out. And it takes a lot of hard work to get that right. Mm -hmm. um, and it takes a lot of time to get that right. Because what we do is we, we meet people and we're like, that person's more like me. I like that person. Um, and uh, I think that I can get along with this person. I think I can work with this person, but that may not have any bearing, bearing on whether or not that is the right person for the job. What is going to be most important is really where you put um, that, that thought and that effort into questioning the person. I can't tell you how often, um, or actually I have told you how often because I, we talk about it every day, that I have reviewed applicants with recruiters and um, asked questions like, um, in, uh, I was remembering one that was a gentleman who was perfectly qualified for this role by far well above anyone else that they had interviewed. And so I asked the applicant, um, I'm uh, sorry, I asked the recruiter, um, why was he not um, hired? Why was he not um, sent on? And she said that the feedback that she got from the first um, from the first hiring manager, the first two hiring managers, is that um, because it was an organization that had a lot of females, young white females, this was a um, very well-educated, uh, tall, um, large black man. Um, but because it was an organization that employed a lot of young white females, the first two hiring managers thought that he was a little imposing and a bit intimidating. And so that's why they didn't refer him on. I've also um, shared with you stories about um, working in um, organizations where we had referral programs where people, we it seemed like we had a small number of people that were doing the same number of people that were making all of the referrals. And somehow all of the referrals that they brought in looked, acted, dressed all like the same way um, because uh, largely because they were all a part of the same school. They were all a part of the same sorority. They were all a part of the same community. And so I do encourage people, um, my recruiters, um, as you're interviewing, sort of remove those biases because someone is large and dark skinned doesn't make them a predator. 
and I'm pretty um, pretty direct about pointing that out. Um, I've also pointed out in that case, um, in publicly in a meeting, the reason why everybody um, looks like acts like we don't have a whole lot of diversity is because we're only taking referrals from two directors, um, and they're all of their friends, and they're all um, literally in the same sororities and and fraternities. And so um, I try to call those um, those situations out when I see them. What are some words or fixes or something that you would advise someone um, as an HR leader like me, um, who is accountable for the recruiting function? How would you advise a leader, um, of course, to do unconscious bias training? But what are some tips, words that you would instill in everyone to sort of catch themselves as they're engaging, you know, sort of in decisions that involve bias? What is something that you would um, advise? I wish I had the magic words. Um, I've done everything in my career from uh, just ensuring that every interview loop had uh, a diverse person um, so that the interviewers are, are at least diverse when that's possible. Um, I've done things like uh, diversify the candidates that um, folks got to see, um, and that would have varying results. Um, uh, I have uh, done things such as um, ensure that every candidate that uh, folks would see as part of uh, interviewing for a specific position was diverse. So if I thought a woman should be part of a group, I would just uh, send women and wait for her comments. And I will tell you, I've had instances where there were no comments and a hire was made. And I've had instances where it was, hey, what's going on? I'm only seeing women as part of this, this interview group. So um, what's happening here? And so, uh, and I would have very frank, very open conversations about this um, at, at any point. Uh, one of the things that, uh, I decided to take advantage of because I'm a black woman is that uh, when people wanted to have a conversation about diversity with me, I was prepared to go there with them. Um, and so if they were complaining about the fact that they'd only seen women and their department was 90% men, I would um, very um, respectfully and nicely point that out and talk about what are the problems with hiring women and get them to, and, and not with one of the things that I have always done is um, in order to further the conversation, I had to leave behind some of the professional expectations. And so uh, you would see a recruiting leader who's a black woman, oh my God, I better not talk about diversity or I'm gonna get in trouble. And so I would try very hard um, to get leaders to leave that behind. And let's talk about what's real. Let's talk about what's on the table. Let's talk about that I've just sent you three candidates who were women and they all three were no. I'm not gonna send you any more until I understand your nose, right? I'm not going to send you a man or a woman until you understand your nose. And a lot of it was, they weren't good at recruiting and they'd never been asked to be good at recruiting. And so they were much better at identifying people with whom I would have a better time going golfing with. Mm -hmm. And so getting them to get that on the table and to understand that work is not golf and uh, let's figure out what works best in this scenario for work. Um, and let's figure out if it is some of the candidates that we've seen or do we need to see additional candidates? 
uh, and um, let's understand why we're not bringing in the diversity that we need. Um, uh, I have, uh, you know, to, to, to be all, you know, to be honest about that, I've had some success and some not success. I've had some hiring managers go around me. I've had some hiring managers who fell in line. So I can't say that it was all successful, mm -hmm. uh, but I can say that um, we can continue to call it out and we can continue to, to make, um, to get hiring managers, to get interviewers, to get recruiters, to call upon mm -hmm. um, their own biases that are coming into play and to set them aside and to really figure out why you are evaluating candidates in the way that you are evaluating them. Great. Carmen, give us another moment that mattered in your career. Otherwise, I talk about the um, beauty supply story incident when you were a reporter in Detroit. <laughs> we're not talking, we're not going all the way back there because I don't remember. Right. <laughs> Yes, I don't remember. Um, but I, I will tell you um, uh, a moment uh, that mattered for me. Um, and this was as a consultant at Recruiting Toolbox. And so I was not a member of this company, but I had been um, uh, uh, consulting for this company and training at this company for quite some time. And I had um, I had a manager just stay behind and uh, finally, uh, after everyone else had left, I said, I just, you know, I, I want to, um, I, I just want to talk about my experience. Essentially, is what he wanted to do. And he wanted mm -hmm. to talk about it first, sort of, um, you know, why he had hired the last person he'd hired. He'd hired, he was a white male, he'd hired a white male. Um, and, and, and I, you know, couldn't find any fault with that. And I said, that, that, that seems like it was the right decision. He's like, yeah, but um, as I think about every single candidate of color that I've had, um, I have decided not to hire them. And uh, for, for me, um, I think I'm recognizing um, something in myself. And I said, that, that is quite possible. I said, um, the thing that you, you have to go back and do is understand what's that minimum level of competence that you're looking for when hiring a person um, and uh, making the effort. So if you are um, uh, you know, quite comfortable with hiring white males, um, tell your recruiter that you are open to diversity, um, that your organization as a matter of fact is not going to um, win without diversity. Uh, your recruiter will likely work very hard to get you the diversity that you need. In fact, um, it, uh, you know, a lot of times we hear this idea that diversity slows us down when in fact it can speed us up. It can actually make us less aware of um, those physical characteristics mm -hmm. and move people ahead based on what we know we need in our organizations. And um, I, I think that that for me was, was a recent just, um, Aha, there are people out there who want to do better, who know that they've done poorly, who don't know how. And so that's why I get, you know, I'm always excited to, to do my work because um, I get, you know, I, I get mm -hmm. to encounter people like that all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we have um, this new um, social justice movement 
which is, um, I, I called it new, but it's actually not new. It's um, just a continuation of the ongoing social justice movement, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it is, however, new to a lot of people, which um, s- surprises me. Um, but I digress. Um, a lot of people are younger than us. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, to, I have to remember that. I, I, I have to remember that. Um where do you see this going? We have had a sort of, um, I, I don't want to call it a renewed um, interest, but we definitely have um, a lot of eyes on um, social justice right now, which also um, it, it means inside the workplace as well. Um, lots of companies are calling for diversity training. Um Lots of uh, lots of HR folks are starting to question some of their practices. Where do you see this going? Is this, um, in your opinion, sort of a, a flash in the pan, a fad, um, or do you actually see us um, making strides um, in this area, particularly it, in the workplace? It's so hard. It's so easy to uh, believe that. Um, especially if you are our age, that there's no progress that's being made because we don't, we don't see the numbers that we know mm-hmm. that we're seeing. Um, but I, I also see it, especially just given a, a client that I was recently working with. And um, I was, and it was over Zoom. So, I'll, you know, everything was different. And usually I do trainings live. And so I can really kind of gauge where people are, but this was over Zoom. So it was, a little bit different. Uh, they were more of a quiet group. They didn't know each other, so they weren't talking to each other very much um, over the chat function. So I um, really just had to work off what I was hearing and eventually work through some of the um, responses that I get to the survey that we, we send to follow up. And what I learned is that most people found it extremely, uh, found the training extremely helpful uh, they were learning uh, new things, um, things that I thought were, um, I might have thought, you know, were um, uh, basic, but I was just given some heads up by some of the folks that I talked with that even let's start at the basics and if they want to take it further, uh, we can take it further. So I was struck by especially some of the young people who really want to figure this out. They really wanted to figure out um, how to get more people with more um, with diverse backgrounds into their organization, um, and it was uh, a it was it, it was again it was one of those situations where I was looking around, going, "Well, it should be kind of obvious," but they were looking around, going. We just didn't recognize. We didn't recognize what had happened over the years for uh, our company. And so uh, now we want to fix it. And so that's what they were. Um, that's why they engaged us. That's what they are uh, on the on the cusp of doing. And so um, I, I have hope. I have hope that uh, we will uh, get there. It is slower than you or I or any of uh, our ancestors would like, um, but I think that there are, that with each generation, um, people know, people are, or people in this country are recognizing that you take a person 
uh, at their own worth and uh, you figure out who they are and where they might fit in your organization. And that is the very best thing that you can do. And it has uh, nothing to do with the color of, of someone's skin or, um, or their sex or their sexual preferences. None of that really impacts how someone is going to perform on the job. I think, um, and, and I, I probably shouldn't say this, I am not as optimistic, and, and I say that um, only because I've been on this earth for almost 60 years, and I've been at this game for a long time, since I grew out of the cute little black boy stage. And so, um, having said that, I don't think we should stop trying, because we owe it to um, those that are coming along behind us um, and those that have a lot more years left here and in the workplaces to create a better situation. And so I'm certainly in for the fight. Um, and I know that you are as well, Carmen. Well, being so significantly younger than you, um, I, I think things will improve. I have a, a slight more bit of faith in, in, in young people. And uh, I do hope that, uh, that things uh, get better. I think that uh, the unfortunate death of George Floyd and, and many others um, help people see um, something that you and I have been seeing for, for many, many years. Okay. Yeah, I did marry a much younger woman. <laughs> <laughs> By two years. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> but you haven't years. changed since college. I, on the other hand... <laughs> Lost all kinds of hair and game. Uh, well, all this gray. Well, thank <laughs> you, William. This has been uh, a great conversation. It absolutely has. Thank you for um, for sharing some moments that matter. Um, are you sure you don't want to talk about those two cases? Uh, we'll, we'll leave those for another time. Or what happened at the beauty supply store when you were an anchor woman in Detroit? We'll Perhaps leave that for We'll leave that for another time. Okay. <laughs> when we go all the way back in the annals of history. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever resolve that case, by the way? Uh, the hi, Barb. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, thank you, Carmen. Thank you. I really appreciate you, and I appreciate you as a um, as a partner, as a, um, a confidant, as someone who has been a huge support um, to me, as the black man, on days when I have come home ready to fight, um, you have kept me calm and you have kept me steady, and I appreciate you and all of your perspectives. So, thank you for um, uh, being a partner to Career Crossroads and, and um, helping us to get these moments that matter out. I'm, I'm really encouraged um, by them, and I'm hoping that our audience and our clients can, can learn from them. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you. Helpful in any way. You're listening to Moments That Matter, a special CXR podcast series where leaders and talent professionals share their own experiences with varying aspects of discrimination and inequality. Here on Moments That Matter, we are dedicated to creating connected conversations around specific moments. These are Moments That Matter.